What's going yo, yo, on? Yo. What's going on? What's up? Austin, Andy, Jeff. How goes it? Dude, Andy, you Fantastic. got your own uh, private gym studio now? <laughs> yeah, mate. I thought I'd, I'd uh, level up, got myself a full commercial gym, and I'm recording from that space right now. So if you're watching on uh, YouTube, then you can see all my new equipment I've got around here. I've just been pumping out some reps. You know what I mean? So there you go. If you're listening <laughs> on... Pre-pod pump. <laughs> yeah, if you're li- listening on Spotify and you're confused about what's going on, don't worry. It's just a background filter I have that's a commercial gym background for the vibe, you know what I'm saying? Mm, it's oh, a yeah. good vibe. It's a good vibe. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, why don't you kick us off Okay, and tell us about how your week's been or your weekend was. What day is it? Wednesday. Yeah, tell us about what you've got going on because you always start with one of us and you generally run things, you're master of ceremonies. So you you tell us, dude, what you've got going on. Oh, flipping the script. Yeah. All right, all right. Um, man, you know what? It's been an epic week so far. I... Started out Monday with my check-ins, you know, got all my all my new clients set up. I had a couple new clients coming on. Things have been kind of booming for me lately, which is nice because they were slow for quite a while. And I think people are getting revved up for the summertime. And uh, so things are things are going really well. Training has been absolutely phenomenal for me lately. Strength is going up like crazy. And uh, sleep has been really good. Um, And another cool thing, too, is I started journaling. Like, I bought this journal online from this guy, Greatest Day Mindset is his handle on Instagram. And he makes these cool, like, guided journals. They're called focus journals. And you pretty much, you open it up every day and you write down. It prompts you to write specific things in your journal. Like, what are you grateful for and why? And then it gives you a new quote each day and it says, what does this quote mean to me? And then it asks you to kind of like, and then there's like a free write area with like a prompt and there's a bunch of prompts in the back. Anyway, super cool journal. It's an awesome way to start out your day. And I like that it's guided because sometimes when I journal on my own, I find that I can just go off on a tangent that has nothing to do with anything. And I'm just like, okay, now I'm just writing for the sake of writing. So that's been rad, man. I've, I've definitely been experiencing some, uh, some better like mental health days since I started writing in this journal. And dude, steps have been crazy. Yesterday, I got 14,000 steps. Um, I played in a paddle battle, which for those of you guys who don't know, a pickleball, uh, I've been fucking addicted to pickleball for the last year, been playing like four or five times a week, two hours each. So like sometimes I'll play eight to 10 hours of pickleball per week. And it's really nice too, because almost all of this is in zone two heart rate range for my cardio. So I'm getting in a shit ton of zone two cardio every single week. And it's fun. Like, I don't think about, oh, I'm doing cardio. Like, I literally am just trying to fucking crush my opponent (laughs) in pickleball. And I'm getting cardio. I'm getting healthier. And I've, like, made a bunch of friends in the community, the pickleball community. 
everybody's like fucking seniors who plays pickleball around here but lately there's been a bunch of younger people coming into play and like as you get higher and higher into the levels of pickleball and you get better and better um it just gets more and more fun because you realize how much you're not that good so it's uh last night me and my partner stayed on court one so as you progress and you win games you move up a court so we started on court one and we stayed on court one the entire night so we won every single game except for one we lost and uh it was a lot to do with like the way that i was talking to myself i i think because i'm fucking hard on myself and i'm really competitive so what happened was I was missing shots. I was making a lot of errors. And I so I started being like, what the fuck, dude? Hit a fucking shot. Like, move your fucking feet. Like, I was, like, really talking to myself crazy. Mm. And I was like, what the f-? And the more I talked to myself like this, the more mistakes I made. I actually made a post about this this morning. And, uh, and I recognized it and started talking to myself more encouragingly, like how we would to, like, hopefully, like, our kids one day, like – hey, that's all right, you know, good good try, good effort, like, you got this, like, just kind of more encouraging, and I noticed um, I started playing way better, and then I advanced to the, the team that beat us before, we got to play them again, because we advanced again, and we fucking beat them the second time, and I, and I was just, I was like, dude, this is crazy, bro, it's all about, it's all about that, the way we're t- treating ourselves, you know, so, anyways, without getting super deep first thing here, um, just been an awesome week, so uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how the rest of it goes. How about you guys? How about how, I'm gonna switch to you, Andy? How about how's your week so far? Um, how's my week been? It's been all right. My sleep hasn't been fantastic, to be honest. Um, it's been a bit of a struggle, actually sleep wise i've been like i know austin you've been kind of switching to try and get up a little earlier and i've been actually been going to bed later and getting up later more so because i've got some stuff going on at home that's kind of making me play with my sleep routine so that's been a bit of a struggle and i've been lacking motivation to work out i've been lacking motivation to track my nutrition um so my week of maintenance last week was probably more like a week in a slight surplus um and i was probably a little lower on my protein than i should have been but i kept up with my training i didn't miss any training sessions which was good um and now i'm back into a deficit and feeling a bit more motivated um so i think that i'm just trying to establish my sleep pattern again um because i know that that's going to really help with my motivation to to train and track everything because you know what it's like if you're like lacking sleep and you're like stressed or whatever it's hard to keep on top of stuff uh, or even want to keep on top of stuff you know um so i think for me that's kind of what i'm working on this week is trying to get my sleep patterns back down and also what i've been doing recently i made a post about this yesterday is just trying to prioritize myself before i get my work done and luckily like the habits that i've been building over the last 
three or four months, which has been prioritized myself before getting stuck into my work, have carried through nicely through that period of like last week and leading into this week where things have been a little bit more stressful, like I've still been prioritizing myself in terms of like, I've still been going out for my walks, getting my steps in. I've still been getting my training in and I've been trying to do those things before I get stuck into my work. Um, but still been as productive with my work because if I hadn't have done those things, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that makes sense, man. I think that's that's key right there. Do you find that you have do you do you find that after you train you are more energized or do, do you have like a period after you train where you're a little bit fatigued, like thirty minutes or so? Yeah, I do find that a little bit. I do find where I'm do I am a little bit like I could do with another coffee sometimes, you know, it depends like a leg day more so. And it like, I have one day where I do push ups to failure and then it's like superseted with like some biceps to failure. And it's just like, I can't barely move my arms afterwards, you know, and True I have to Vicanti pick- style, Vicanti style push ups <laughs> to failure, baby. Yeah. <laughs> And then I have to go and get Olivia like out of bed and I'm like trying to carry her down the stairs and I'm just like shaking like a shitting dog, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I do, I do feel a little bit like in a weird state straight afterwards, but then I'm thrust into getting Olivia ready for daycare, which is stressful in itself. So maybe yeah. that's another thing that's making me a little bit drained. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's more energizing, but there is a period afterwards where I do feel a little bit tired i suppose but overall it makes me more energized than not working out at all um yeah i mean i've got a friend of mine that always talks about he feels way better going to the gym in the morning and so do i actually but he feels like he's got way more energy after going to the gym um i'd more train in the morning because i won't do it in the afternoon if I mm-hmm. if I don't get it done, I'll just not do it. Um, but he likes to do it because he's like he gets it done and he feels energized for his day. Do you feel that? <clears throat> for me, I think I think I I always used to train later in the day, like around around like four or five or six. I was like kind of my training window, and I liked that because I had like some solid meals in me, and so it feels better. I think. To do that, especially in a surplus, you kind of have like, you know, a little bit, I don't know, it just feels good to have a bunch of carbs in your system and go train. But honestly, I've been training mostly fasted this mesocycle first thing in the morning just because I can't like, you know, I don't have time to cook anything. And I'm like, if I don't get it done now, something will come up later and I, I won't get it done. So that's kind of been my mindset lately. And it's nice, dude. It's nice to just not have that workout as something in the back of my mind that's on my plate I need to get done. Because for me, it's a non-negotiable. It's like, I'm not going to miss this workout. It's a do or die for me. And if I need to push it to another day, I will. But most of the time, I don't. Because I'm I'm like, you can do this. You can fit it in almost every single day that you have a training session. So if even if sometimes that means like skipping one exercise on the workout and then putting it on another day like sometimes there'll be a a calf you know a calf exercise that I'm like 
I felt like somebody's taking up the calf press or the, you know, the Smith machine or whatever. And I want to do calves on there. And if somebody's taking it up and I need, I know I need to go, like I'll, I'll push that to my next training day and I'll just do calves that day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I do get tired though. I've noticed like for 30 minutes to an hour after these training sessions, but I'm also going extremely high intensity and so I, I noticed that it does take me, like, sometimes I just want to take a fucking nap afterwards and I feel worthless. And then other days I feel great. Like today, uh, rest day, I'm super stoked to have a rest day today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Austin, you're following this, you follow the same program as Jeff. Yeah. Right. We're both in the, the yoke squad by uh, Paul Carter. Why? Right. Yeah. And so what time do you train? what uh and how do you feel after your sessions as well yeah so um, that's a good question so like before i would work out in like more the the afternoons before switching my sleep schedule like i would usually get to the gym around like three or four session takes about an hour or so like i felt pretty good doing that and just like jeff said like just having more food in your system having more carbs like you just feel like your workouts are better because your body is in more of like a topped off state and then recently I've been switching over to like, like 10, 11 AM now, uh, just because I like, I have my early, um, in-person client sessions. And then after that, it's uh, to train, um, honestly performance. I didn't really notice like any huge, like performance declines or like improvements. If, if any, like, I think a lot of it is just mindset. Like I know for a lot of people, when they first switch, they might feel like, Oh, I like my performance just feels off. And I think that is just like a lot of it is mindset, just like it's a different time. You know, you're probably it, the environment in the gym probably feels a little bit different. You know, your diet is just a little bit different. You're not used to your own routine, but like, yeah, for the most part, I feel pretty good. And then like, honestly, outside of training, I'm kind of in this weird, like, um, like limbo state where like for the first time ever, like, and I, I know I've gone over this with like, with you guys before, but like, I just like my motivation to make content has been an all time low lately. And like, yeah, I don't know. It it just feels weird. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm getting more in-person client sessions. I'm getting more online coaching clients and like my clients are like fucking crushing it. So it's kind of a weird thing. Like as a coach, like, you know, everyone else around you, you're like, you're building them up. You're like, you're feeling super good about their progress. Meanwhile, like your own progress, like it is, I mean, I'm showing up still. I'm not like skipping workouts or anything. The weights are still going up. It's just, it just feels different. Like I don't really have the same kind of like intensity or passion, like for my own workouts anymore. I call bullshit on that. Austin. I've been seeing your stories lately. Those, those faces that you make, bro, there's no way that you're not going hard, bro. Oh unless yeah. Yeah. You're just, unless you're just phoning it in for the camera. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I still push myself hard. Like that's just like, I would say my, my personality, like whatever I choose to do, I give it a hundred percent, but like, yeah, just like in the back of my head, it's just, I don't have like kind of this, I, it doesn't feel like the same drive I had before. Like, you know, when you first get into lifting, you're like super excited for every session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's normal, mate. And I think that's, you know, you're going to have different phases of life, different phases of how you're approaching different training cycles and, you know, if at the moment you're just coasting with a couple things, you know, that's okay. Like, it seems like everything's going well. Like, you seem to be making progress in the gym. You seem to be making progress with outside of the gym. 
So, you know, if you're taking the foot off the gas a little bit, that's not such a bad thing because you know that that motivation and that drive is going to come back in so, at some point in the very near future. You know, whether you assess and you think, right, what is it I want to do next? Or you just want to continue with what you're doing. You're going to get that drive back. And, you know, maybe thinking about what it, why it is you're doing what you do and, you know, bringing it back to the why and figuring out like, with it, whether it's content, it's like the reason you're posting content, you know, is to help people. How could you help your, your followers better? Why it is that you're training? You know, is there something else you want to learn? Is there something else you want to dive into? And then start incorporating some of that so you can start to, to learn more about different aspects of training. There will be something that comes around that's going to spark your interest soon enough. And then you can just dive into that and start getting into it. But I don't think it's a bad thing because you can't always be motivated, you know, just like clients aren't always going to be motivated, but it's just like, you are obviously still showing up and we're obviously still seeing you giving it the old grimace on Instagram. <laughs> the old grimace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. And another thing too, is like maturing in the gym is realizing that sometimes workouts are just a fucking chore. They're just like something that you need to get done. At least you build that up in your mind and then when you get there, you remember that you fucking love training. But still that in the back of your mind, you're like, this is a chore. This is like something I have to knock off my list, you know, just like anything else that we have to do. So I think that's the beauty of making it a non-negotiable, but it's also kind of like a double-edged sword because now it's not like, you know, 17 year old jeff who was just going to the gym with his buddies just fucking chugging pre-workout just getting all hyped up you know by the way i got a question do you guys drink pre-workout austin i know you do sometimes andy i've never heard you talk about it mm. well i i don't have any at the moment i did have some I think C4. I think I had some C4. Let's go. Uh, Proprietary blends. Let's oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so pre-workouts. The thing is, I've been trying to bring my caffeine intake down a little. And so I, I generally have, when I have coffee, I'll have a mixture of decaf mixed with caffeinated beans. And... So I'm trying to not have too much caffeine makes me more anxious than I need to be. And so most, most pre-workouts are packed full of caffeine. You know, we're talking like how many 300 milligrams yeah. of caffeine. Per yeah. The, mm -hmm. the Legion, the Legion pulse. If you take the full dose, it's two scoops and that's 350 milligrams. Right. And so we, we're talking like, that's nearly 100% of your recommended daily allowance of caffeine, which is around 400 milligrams of caffeine on a consistent basis, of course. Like if you're going over that a little bit some days and way under it on other days, mm -hmm. it's not such a big deal probably. But, you know, on a consistent basis, if you're getting way more than 400 milligrams, it's probably not such a good thing. Because what I've found is like if I miss a coffee sometimes, I'll, I'll get that headache. And it's like, this is horrible. You know, because if I I have to drink coffee to feel normal, you know, 
that's kind of what it, it got to. So I started to reduce my coffee. Um, if I'm feeling super drained and I need, and I have some pre-workout, I'll take some, but honestly, I don't feel like I need it. So when I train, generally I'll wake up, make a coffee and I'll take my coffee down to the gym and I'll chug my coffee while I'm training. And that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. And once you get started training too, it's like, you don't, you know, you, you'll, you'll You're just start. Tired. Yeah. You'll just start going through the motions. It's not like you need, need all that caffeine. I've been taking the stim free, uh, pre-workout from Legion, which I, I love it, but to be honest, I don't know if I need it, but I do find that it just keeps me focused and the, it does like, I think the citrulline, the L citrulline in it helps me just like get some nasty pumps. But mm-hmm. other than that, man, I like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary unless you're like you really, really want that extra added focus and pump and like a little bit of muscular endurance and things like that. You oh, definitely yeah, get sure. more fired up, mm-hmm. can't you? You definitely get a little bit more mm-hmm. fired up, but yeah. like too fired up. Yeah, I think I think for the most part, it, it just feels like a placebo effect mm. for a lot of people. Yeah, just like you know, sipping on your pre workout, having that like pre workout ritual, and then getting yourself kind of in the zone for the workout. Yeah. I personally have thought about taking my caffeine intake down and I'm working on it. I think like once I finish out my, um, my little canister of coffee, I'm going to like switch over to decaf. Cause like, honestly, I do love the taste of coffee, but like sometimes when you just have a few cups and it's just like full caffeine, it gets a little, it adds up quickly and you like, don't realize it. And next thing you know, you're like 400 milligrams of caffeine deep. And then, yeah. yeah. The way I did it and the way I would recommend it, because I did some research into it about like, do you go cold turkey or not? And people that went cold turkey, everyone that I saw would report that it was just miserable for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And although I did feel some slight tiredness when I cut down, I've done it a couple of times because I generally will cycle through as I get more tired. My It will gradually increase my caffeine dose, but... I grind my own beans here and I'll I'll have like a pack of decaf and a pack of caffeinated. Mm. And I got to a point where I was having like two or three fully caffeinated. And then I would just, because I'll measure out 16 grams of beans. And what I would do is instead of taking 16 grams of caffeinated beans, I would mix in like, it would be like 14 grams of caffeinated beans with two grams of decaf. Hmm. And then every day or like, depending on how, maybe I'd do that for a few days and then it would be like 12 grams of caffeinated, four grams of decaf and then 10 grams and six grams. And then now I have like 12 grams of decaf with four grams of caffeinated usually. Do you, uh, do you do French press or how are you preparing? Cause you're, you're talking about per cup of coffee you're doing per grams. Per mug of coffee, okay. yeah, because okay. I don't want to say cup as in the cup as in measurement, but right, 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 right. Yeah, well, so we're I'll in make the US, a... so we, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you you do French press or what do you do? No, I don't do French press actually. I do a V sixty pour over. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I give it the old tweakity twoo. You know, what dude, I mean? that's very that. hipster mm-hmm. of you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just give one hand on the tash like that. <laughs> <laughs> pinkies up on this hand and just give it the old 
Um, do, you, do you also throw in some smooth B-roll and maybe like a nice little lo-fi hip-hop beat like while you're... Yeah, yeah I give it the old ASMR or whatever as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so what was the question? Uh, I just asked, well, you were talking about how you slowly tapered off of the full caffeine to the decaf beans and like you did it in a very scientific way man i actually really like that that's, that's genius because otherwise you just get those mad headaches and yeah. what i found is like i tried to go like a more caffeinated coffee in the morning and then a not a, like a decaf in the afternoon and then i just found like i didn't have such a i was more tired in the afternoon and i needed that little summer summer after lunch you know what i mean because especially i have like carbs at lunch like a couple of sandwiches for lunch and generally like an hour or so after that i feel a little bit lethargic so i need a little pick me up so i still have some caffeinated beans at that time as well um so i found for me having having two servings of coffee with a I guess it's like 75% decaf to 25% caffeinated ratio. Um, and, you know, there's so many coffee shops that will do like half calf. Like if I go to a Starbucks or something, I'll ask for half calf hmm. and they'll be able to do half caffeinated, half decaf. And, you know, like if you were to go to Starbucks and get their drip coffee, like some of their drip coffees per grande are like 300 grams milligrams of caffeine it's yeah bro you get jacked on starbucks i've noticed that when i get like a whatever it is 16 16 ounce coffee like because i don't buy like lattes and shit like that because i think you know just just don't really need the extra calories and shit unless it's like almond Mm -hmm. milk latte or some shit but you know i'll just get a regular like the house coffee or whatever and bro it literally gets me more jacked up than like taking two scoops of pre-workout. It's insane. And yeah. and people walk around with like these big fucking mocha frap of fuckachinos like <laughs> like literally just drinking like 600 calories in a cup with like like 400 plus milligrams of caffeine, I'm sure. So they're like kind of get four extra shots and two pumps of vanilla. Oh my and god. You're like fuck. <laughs> You're like, fuck, this is what everyone does. Like, and it's like eight dollars. So you're like, you're blowing mm-hmm. you're blowing your sleep, right? Because of the because of the the caffeine, mm-hmm. you're you're fucking your sleep. Uh because of the cost, you're fucking your budget. Imagine if you get one of those every day, that's like two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Plus tip, mm-hmm. plus it's probably closer mm-hmm. to three hundred dollars a month. That's crazy. Like you could hire an online coach for that. <laughs> and then then three you're also fucking your like your calories so it's in three ways you're fucking yourself and i'll Mm -hmm. rant over yeah just one decision a day that's just fucking you (laughs) yeah 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 i mean i get it people love it but i'm like you're of course, who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, great. A fuck, it's a goddamn caffeinated milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you did bring up a good point. Like, it, did, it does depend on, like, how you brew your coffee. Because I think, like, yeah, French press, it, like, extracts, like, the uh, the stuff out of the beans, like, way more than if you were to do, like, drip coffee or some sort of, like, pour over. Yeah. Yeah. 
it depends on how long you brew it, I suppose, as well. But yeah. the thing I see with people that make a French press is they'll have like a big French press and then they'll just fill it up and then they'll have two two mugs of coffee out of that one French press. And they're like, yeah, just one cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that was about eight. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, so... it's a Yeah, it's a really easy way to start chugging coffee, a French press. Mm-hmm. I remember when I did a French press and it was like, bro, I was probably taking in 600 to 800 milligrams of caffeine per day. Easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't know if you guys like cold brew, but have you seen the caffeine content in cold brew? Yeah, no, I fucking love it's cold a brew. Shit. Yeah, I love it, but let, holy shit, is that a lot of caffeine? <laughs> yeah, it does have a lot of caffeine. Why not? Yeah. So, okay, so my question for you, Andy, is how much caffeine is in decaf beans? Like, we know that, like, roughly a cup of coffee is, like, 100 milligrams of caffeine, roughly. Um, it's always going to range, but what about decaf? Significantly less, maybe 15 milligrams. Really? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I wow. don't know the exact number. It's like 90, it's like 99 point something of the percent of caffeine is removed, but it still does have a little bit of caffeine. So for, Yeah, it's like minimal. How yeah. do they do that? How, this is totally not related to fitness, but how do <laughs> I they have no re- idea. <laughs> how do they remove the caffeine? I think they soak it in some uh, this is all I like, I've, I've heard this because people complain that it's like not healthy, but I think they soak it in a chemical that just like extracts the caffeine somehow. I'm not sure exactly, but yeah, you my buddy, my buddy Sean he runs this company, Coffee for Kids, and um, and he hooks me up with really, really awesome like fresh roasted coffee. Like whenever I want a bag, he'll just like bring it over and uh, and super nice guy, man, really awesome guy. But he has a decaf bean as well, so I'm I'm gonna start ordering that from him. And I'm going to ask him how – I'm going to report back to the podcast and let you guys know how he does his decaf because he roasts it himself. So I don't know how he's extracting yeah. the caffeine. Yeah, that would be interesting to find out. I don't know. Maybe he might get it from his supplier like already decaffeinated maybe. I don't even know. But um, I don't know how coffee – roaster would feel about mixing blends of like decaf and not decaf but mm-hmm. it's it's up to you basically yeah yeah, yeah so i um, mean what why not though you know like if somebody if there's enough of a demand for it i don't see why not yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and like you guys said like i really like it's like my routine. I get up, I turn the kettle on because it's already filled with water from the night before because I'm prepared, you know. Mm-hmm. I get up, turn the kettle on, you know, give it the <laughs> old pour over. Um, <laughs> then, And then that's my routine, you know. I make my coffee, I guzzle it, I feel good. And I like that routine. I like the taste of coffee and um sets me up nicely for my day i still get some caffeine for my workout if i'm more tired maybe i'll have a little bit more caffeinated coffee um but that's a slippery slope as well you know what i mean do you got do you guys um like do you guys pay attention to your sleep when uh like how caffeine affects your sleep like your caffeine intake for the day and like if it's actually impacting your sleep or not because i 
that's something I, I really hadn't paid attention to until I hit probably like 30 years old. And then I, I like started looking into more health and longevity stuff and looking at caffeine and, you know, keep like optimizing my sleep. And this is all stuff I wish I would have started focusing on when I was younger. But um, a lot of people never look at this stuff. So it's not like it's ever too late to start looking at this stuff. But um, I have noticed when I cut off caffeine around like noon or one o'clock, I sleep way better just i don't know if it has a longer half-life for me based on my genetics or what the deal is but anything past like one o'clock if i have caffeine my sleep is absolutely terrible yeah well i don't know a whole lot about it but i know that a coffee has a half-life of like what four to six hours or something which means that if you have a hundred milligrams of coffee in your system or caffeine, if you have 100 milligrams of caffeine in your system, in four to six hours, you'll have 50. And then in another four to six hours, you'll have 25. Right? So every four to six hours, it'll be another half. Um, that's my understanding of it. And I've heard people say, try not to drink coffee after a certain time, whether that's 12, one o'clock in the afternoon, but like you said, everyone processes it processes certain things at different speeds. I've got friends that can chug a coffee at midnight and go to sleep. You know, and every everyone's affected by caffeine in a different way, and everyone processes it in a different way. So it's too hard to say in terms of like a blanket statement, but probably shouldn't be drinking too much coffee late into the night i find for me i could probably drink a coffee at two or three o'clock and i'd be fine to fall asleep i don't know mm -hmm. how much it affects my actual sleep through the night though because i do find that i toss and turn and i i can be up in the night quite a lot mm. but i fall asleep so easy either way if i have a coffee at like five four or five i'll notice that i do struggle to fall asleep yeah because falling asleep usually isn't the issue it's it's how it's your quality of sleep that's the issue yeah well i never really get a good quality sleep maybe that's what maybe that's something i should look into then Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough, man. Um, I was actually listening to Mike and Jordan's last podcast, and they talked about blackout curtains. They were talking about blackout curtains, and like Mike was talking about a study where they shined a small amount of blue light on the back of somebody's knee, like the back of somebody's knee, just a small amount of blue light shining on the back of their knee, like massively impacted their sleep quality so i guess and i had no idea it was that drastic but i guess like having a super dark like pitch black room is super important so i actually went and ordered an eye mask off amazon for sleep um just because i i i don't know man there's like installing blackout curtains in my room I have two different size windows and I don't know, it just sounds like a big ordeal. So I was like, let me just try the eye mask and see how that works. I sleep with an eye mask every night. Yeah, I know you do. And that's why I was like, I was like, why not just get an eye mask instead of uh, blackout curtains? 
Yeah, I mean, the only argument to that would be that if there's a piece of blue light on the back of your knee, then, you know, that, that person in the study could have been wearing an eye mask and it wouldn't have made any difference because yeah. that's the only thing. Like, I don't know if the the fact that light is on your skin is signaling something to wake you up. Because it's not just apparent from that study, it suggests that it's not just light coming into your eyes or through your eyelids, but it's just the fact that it's on your skin because it was on the back of their knee, right? I, I listened right, to right, podcast right. too. Um, but I have found that the the eye mask has been great because Lucy doesn't like to have blackout curtains. Um, she likes to wake up with the, the sunrise, I suppose. Um, so I wear an eye mask and it's actually been great. But then here's the thing that I found. It becomes a bit like a um, like a comfort blankie, you know? Now it's like if I try and go to sleep without my eye mask, I don't feel comfortable and I feel like, where's my eye mask? I need my eye mask to go to sleep. Mm. It's weird because it's like uh... now I'm used to that pressure on my eyes yeah mm-hmm. well it seems you like know? it seems like it would be the same thing with blackout curtains right like if you have blackout curtains at home and then you went traveling somewhere and then you don't have blackout curtains you'd probably have a hard time sleeping you'd probably be like oh it's, this room's so light i can't sleep you know yeah yeah but yeah. i have to take my eye mask everywhere because yeah i need to feel the eye mask on my skin i need it mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good though I, I i don't know maybe maybe it's not good i don't know but i honestly man if it's if it's helping your sleep quality and all it is is a stupid little eight dollar eye mask then that's awesome like i you're probably you're probably a much better human being wearing the eye mask the next day than if you were not to wear it yeah it's true yeah all right, should we get into some actual fitness content? <laughs> yeah, I'm, what do you mean, dude? Sleep? Come on. <laughs> Sleep, caffeine? It's all fitness related. Um, yeah, but something something for the clickbait title. The clickbait title. Right, Sleep right. and caffeine. Oh, yeah, we're we going gonna to talk about periodization, right? Yes. That's yes. what you already wanted to say, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you really wanted to talk about. He's been waiting for weeks to talk about this. Periodization. Yeah. All right, man. So, yeah. So, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about this as well because you guys were both discussing um, the way that you periodize for clients and kind of how your coaches have periodized for you. And I want to know, like, your guys' methods for periodization. I keep my programs pretty basic for the most part, just because almost all of my clients are beginner to intermediate trainees. I'm getting into more advanced periodization with, um, you know, different intensification techniques like rest pauses and, you know, different tempos and things like that. And, you know, just changing up the reps and everything more often but um, just making the program more intense as the mesocycle continues it also kind of helps I feel like keep things fun and interesting and also kind of make sure that we're breaking plateaus as we are increasing through the meso 
Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to see how you guys do it and what your guys' thoughts are. Oh, man, it, it, it's a it's a lot to get into. I'm trying to think of like where to even start. So if you like no, go on, yeah. So like so, if you're listening and you don't know what periodization is, it's basically um, you go through different periods of your training where you you might take it easy for like a few weeks or you might get it um, increase the intensity and increase the amount of volume that you're doing, and then as a result of that, it um, triggers like different kind of adaptation responses to your body. And then there, of course, there are like many ways to do this. It also depends on your training experience and all that. I will say that for the most part, a lot of people who are just starting out don't need any form of periodization because if you really think about it, if you are progressively overloading over time, you're increasing the amount of weight that you're lifting, you're pretty much increasing, you're pretty much periodization, periodizing your plan in a sense because you're increasing the amount of weight that you're lifting. And if you're able to do that for the same amount of reps or for more reps, you're in a sense, you're like, you're increasing volume, you're increasing the amount of like stimulus that's coming from your training program. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that establishes a pretty good foundational base. Um, I don't know if you have, if you guys have any more to add on that. Well, what I heard from Mike Israto, I think, was like the manipulation of training variables in order to drive adaptation, I think, is something that he said. So mm. pretty much exactly what you said there. And the way like <clears throat> you there's different types of ways of doing it with that have like specific names. And for the most part with my clients, I keep things really, really simple. Like there's different techniques that you can use that get like really confusing, but there's some that can be quite fun. Um, but I think for the most part, most people that get into training, unless they're absolutely advanced and have been following a very structured program for five plus years, and I mean like pretty much like elite level, you know, don't need to be doing anything anything too crazy and so with my clients i guess i don't even know if if what it would be called but it's basically just a linear periodization which is i provide the number of sets my clients need to do and then a rep range so you get a rep range not a set number of reps so you get okay for the next four to six weeks your program you're going to do three sets of eight to 12 reps for a dumbbell bench press is for an example. And you're going to do that at an one to three reps in reserve. Okay. Now the reason for the rep range is because it's your job as a trainee to be progressing and you need some wiggle room to be able to progress through because you don't, you're not always going to be hitting the same number of reps every single time, whether, you know, every week you're not going to be able to hit the same number of reps and every set, you're not going to be able to hit the same number of reps. So you need that wiggle room. In my opinion, like if you can explain to a client, like, Hey, it says three sets of eight, but you can be plus or minus. That's fine. <laughs> but I say like, okay, you got eight to 12 reps aim for 12 but then once you kind of get close to 12 that's when you should be you know adding some weight and bringing it back down to eight reps as long as you're close enough to failure within that one to three reps away from failure 
your job is to try and increase weight every single week and be close within that rep range. It's okay if you go over a little bit and it's okay if you're under a little bit, but as long as your reps in reserve is matched for the most part and you're making progress, that's the most important thing that we're kind of looking for. The fact that we're making progress every week and that um, you are close enough to failure. So your sets are intense. And then the job then is to just focus on turning up as a someone that trains and saying, can I squeeze out an extra rep with the same way I did last week? Or can I squeeze out um, some extra weight in comparison to what I did last week with the same number of reps? Or even if it's a little bit less, that's okay, because then the following week you can use the same weight and then try and match the reps you did two weeks ago with a heavier uh, with a lighter weight. So in that sense, it's like it's it's linear because you're just trying to increase one or two variables at a time: weight and reps. Mm-hmm. Rarely do I increase sets through a mesocycle. I might add a set in a different mesocycle. So instead of doing three sets, we'll do four sets this mesocycle. Um, so that's like a four to six week training phase. We might add a, a set here or there. But then also, because we're training each muscle part twice a week, you might consider that I'm also running a like daily undulating periodization model as well. And I'm, I, to be honest, I don't fully understand what that model is, except that it could be in my mind that because we're training bench press on two separate days and one day it's like three sets of eight to 12 on another day, it might be three sets of five to seven, for example. So one day is like you're doing a slightly higher reps on another day. It's not exactly the same. You're going to be using a different weight because you are in a different rep range. Um, Yeah, so that's generally what I do with my clients and move them through. And then all they have to do is kind of move from week one forwards. And it's super easy. All they need to do is turn up, look what they did last week. And can they add a little bit? And can they make some simple progress? It's so easy to know what to do. And as long as they're following the reps in reserve, they know that even if they're having a bad week and they're feeling tired and stressed, they can auto-regulate that and say, because I'm tired, you know, I'm not going to be able to hit what I hit last week. And that's okay because they can apply the that relative intensity, the reps in reserve, and the out they get whatever they get for that day, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean... I would love to know how you guys plan for your clients because I do, I would like to learn a little bit more about rest, pause sets and some of those other training techniques, drop sets, rest, pause (laughs) sets, Maya reps. I've heard all these terms that I don't necessarily use um, mostly because maybe don't even need to use them, but I think they can be a very fun way of training. Uh, That's the only thing really, because I think, doing these kind of training styles can be fun for clients to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's a lot to get into. So like, 
I say for the most part, I maybe only have like one or two clients that I like will regularly periodize for. And for the most part, like I said, for most people, like as if you're following consistent training program, if you're able to progressive overload week to week, month to month, you are in a sense periodizing your plan because you're able to consistently add weight. And then that's going to equal out to more volume over time. And that's going to equal out to more stimulus for your body over time. And you don't, and like, I think one of the biggest markers for like, if you need to change things up is, are you making progress? Because if you're able to consistently progressive overload, that means your program's working. That means you're, you're getting an adequate amount of volume. And so, but it, to answer your question about like how to periodize, um, I really like learning uh, or have learned about the effective reps model. So basically, like rather than counting volume as the number of hard sets, it's you're counting the number of effective reps. So if you're training to like a true one set to failure, it's going to be five effective reps, like assuming that you, yeah, when you went, you went to true failures. So for example, you did a set of 10 to failure, that's the equivalent of about like five effective reps. And so when you start to count volume that way, I think it's, I, I like it a lot better personally than like counting like the number of like hard working sets because you don't really know it's because if you think about training a failure, like each of those reps that you get closer to failure is gonna have a different stimulus in your body. Like say your RI your three rep RIR, so like that RPE seven rep that you get, that's gonna have a different stimulus in your body and it's gonna have like a different stimulus and also fatigue ratio versus if you go to RPE nine or RPE ten. Like just like and even like just like logically when you think about pushing yourself that close, like those reps feel entirely different like to you. Right. So yeah. And then in terms of like the, the rest pause, the drop sets and all that, it's, it's just enough. If we really think about it, it's just another way to get more of these effective reps. Like you can, you can do it by, you know, resting three to five minutes, doing another set to failure on top of that. That's another way to get effective reps. You know, drop sets might be the, it's just a more efficient way to do it because you don't have to rest. You can immediately drop the weight and you can get more reps that way. Rest pause is also another way you rest a little bit and then you go until failure or you go until uh, however many reps that you want to get. And that's just also another way. Like if we think about like training is just really like, like periodizing and all this, I think it really does just circle back to your counting reps or your counting sets like that you want to get as a result of your training to get the, to get the result that you want. Okay. So I've got a couple questions for you because yeah. I want to figure out what you're trying to say, kind of, and figure out um, what what your opinion is on on the effective reps thing. Because I totally get exactly what you're saying. You're saying that if you push all the way to failure, mm -hmm. you're getting five effective reps, right? Yeah. Because a lot of the research shows that the majority of progress is made within five reps of failure. Mm -hmm. Right. So zero to five reps in reserve is where most reps are, are effective. Yeah. So then if you were to do two sets to complete failure mm -hmm. or to technical failure or whatever you want to say, yeah, you've done in essence 10, 10 effective reps mm -hmm. as opposed to if you were to do three sets of two reps in reserve 
three sets of two reps in reserve at the same exercise, mm-hmm. you would have got um, nine effective reps. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So then what would your stance be on on that? Because we've already discussed on a different podcast that going up from two reps in reserve to one rep in reserve to zero reps in reserve is exponentially more fatiguing, mm-hmm. but you're doing one less set. So you mm-hmm. are getting more bang for your buck by doing those extra reps, but they are exponentially more fatiguing per rep. Yeah, but we also have to keep in mind that the it is both higher in stimulus and fatigue. Right. Yeah. And so and there's less volume, right? Well depends I, how we count volume. Yeah. Less well well less sets. Less sets. If if we're just if it's an effective reps model, then usually there's only one set that is really utilizing those effective reps. I mean, you, you could count it multiple ways. Like if you do like a, say a second set to failure, that's also another extra five effective reps on there. True. Yeah. It's just, I think, for, yeah, for the most part, like I, I like to define volume as like basically how many effective reps as you're doing. I mean, some people like to count how many hard sets, but I think it's kind of arbitrary because like each, each of these sets, depending on how close you go to failure, is going to have a different uh, stimulus on the body. And I think a lot of this like research where people were talking about nine to 12 sets per muscle group, like nine to 12 hard sets per muscle mm-hmm. group per week was what everyone was recommending for quite a while. And, uh, and I think a lot of that was based and correct me if I'm wrong, but like on Brad Schoenfeld's research, um, from years ago when he was talking about, um, those sets. But, but I think a lot, what a lot of people miss is like the minor details of like how many of those reps are actually effective for hypertrophy or strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think really right now we're like really just kind of like, um, like really diving into like the minutia. So like if you're someone who's listening and you're just like stressed out by this, like, like don't, don't be, but uh, yeah. It, cause yeah. Cause the thing like that, I like has, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It has kind of like just mind boggled me for long. Like when you say 10 to 20 hard set, it's like, what is hard? Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it comes down to as well. Like the thing is, if you go, if you push to failure, you know that you've reached failure because you've pushed there. But if you save two reps in the tank, you that is subjective and you think that you've saved two reps in the tank yeah whereas Mm -hmm. if you push to failure you know unless you've like stopped way before that and like but you know it's easier to know if you push Mm -hmm. closer to it that you're there as opposed Mm -hmm. to stopping a few reps away and like even us as people that have trained for years even we struggle to know you know we're like okay that was probably two reps in reserve yeah. And then the next week you push to failure with the same weight and you get an extra like five, six reps out. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, so it is really difficult to judge that. Um, but going back to your point about anyone that's listening and might feel stressed out about this, it's like it is minute um, because there is so many people training with different training styles and approaches and everyone is jacked regardless <laughs> of this minute, minute detail. But 
it is interesting to learn about different training styles and methodologies because you've got you guys that are training like i don't know closer to failure perhaps maybe maybe not but more often potentially but i also think you know it is specific on the type of movement that you're doing as well like for a lot of people that only have access to like barbells maybe dumbbells Mm -hmm. um that do a lot of deadlifts and back squats that kind of thing you know to try and accumulate like to focus on the effective reps model is like it's going to be fries and manelli's mate you know what i mean like to try and be like okay you're going to push to failure on a set of back squats every single week for the next 12 weeks be like mm-hmm. i'm actually not into this training stuff you know mm-hmm. well yeah because... but but also a lot of people what well, we didn't maybe explain in this podcast i don't know if you guys did just a minute ago but <clears throat> like we're not talking about going to failure on on compound exercises like that's that's yeah. not what we're talking about at all and and as a matter of fact i don't recommend anybody go to failure anybody test out their one rep max on compound exercises unless you're very advanced or you have a spotter or a coach who knows what they're doing but <clears throat> what we recommend is like going to form failure to and and the thing about that is you kind of have to be intermediate to advanced to know what form failure even is like you have to be filming yourself and really be very aware of your body and what it's doing in order to even know when your form is failing. A lot of like if you're a beginner, like I will not I will I won't program those compound movements for my clients uh to failure ever. Like never. And I won't I won't even tell them like the amount of reps in reserve. I will just give them like you talked about kind of the double progression method. Like just try Start out with a really moderate light weight that's easy for you, and then each week I want you I want to see that either that weight going up or the reps within your given rep range going up. Just try your best and make sure you're resting in between sets adequately. Um, and that's kind of almost all my clients make tremendous tremendous strength gains in the beginning, and it's also good for self-efficacy for somebody that's new to training to see that number going up they're like oh my god i can't believe like literally if we have like uh, we've all trained people in person so Mm -hmm. we know people are not going anywhere near failure we know we know this if you just go to your gym right now and you look around go look at somebody's full set go watch somebody's full set you will see them just barely sweating. They're barely struggling with the weight. They're not, the weight isn't even slowing down. If you see the weight not even slowing down when they're moving it, they're not anywhere near failure. And this is 90% of people that go to the gym, at least not the, the gyms that I go to. And I feel like the gyms most people go to, unless you're at like a very elite, like powerlifting gym or something. But it's most people are not training anywhere near failure. So I, I feel like that's why programming safe exercises to failure is super smart and it will get people results very quickly because they've never trained that hard in their entire lives and if you put somebody on a machine seated chest press which is a very safe exercise to take to failure or a machine row or something like that and you have them take it to failure it's they're going to that's going to be working those muscles harder than they've ever worked them in their entire lives and they're going to they're going to probably not like it at first, but then eventually they're going to be like, oh my God, they're going to see the gains. They're going to love it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. 
Yeah, it, it really does depend on the exercise that you're doing because like for something like a back squat where it does require a lot of stability and bracing from your end, it can be like when you get close to failure, obviously as the, the muscles you want to target start to start to fatigue, you're going to go into some like other compensation movement patterns. Uh, maybe you like, you start to use your lower back a little bit and you start to like compensate and that, that, then that means like at that point, you're not really targeting the specific muscle that you want and you're not really like accumulating these effective reps for that muscle. And so when other muscle groups start to take over, this starts to be like less stimulus for the muscle muscle that you're actually trying to target. So yeah, yeah, that's a good caveat to add. I think people need to have a word with themselves as well about what their goal is because a lot of people come into to this thinking like, Oh, I want to gain muscle. I want to gain muscle. But then they also have this idea of, you know, I need to be stronger in order to build muscle when actually, you know, you don't need to get stronger on things like back squat and stuff to, in order to gain, to gain muscle. So like if you're focusing on trying to build your back squat as heavy as you can, um, there you could be spending a lot more time, your your efforts could be put better elsewhere um, to grow muscle. And so sometimes having your ego in check and not getting carried away with how much weight you're lifting is going to be better for you. Because once the once you're not targeting the target muscle anymore, then you know that movement is kind of useless. Any additional reps that you do is potentially unsafe and potentially useless because you're not really stimulating that target muscle anymore. And that's why you see people like Eugene Teo, Paul Carter, start to push this idea of you don't need barbells. And you know that you saw a post by Paul Carter the other day, the most overrated exercises for building muscle is bench press, back squats, (laughs) and deadlifts. Yeah. And he was a you know, he was an elite power lifter, by the way. Yeah, and I think uh, Eugene Tio competed in powerlifting as well. You know, everyone's kind of come from some kind of strength sport and have, uh, you know, they've got a variety of um, backgrounds. Yeah, and so I do see people like, oh, I want to build muscle, but I also really want to increase my back squat for no apparent reason. I think that's the thing. If it's like, okay, you have a goal of building your back squat for a specific reason, then that's cool. But if you want to build muscle and that's your goal, and then you're just trying to lift as heavy in the gym because you want to impress other people around you, Mm -hmm. that's an ego thing. And that is not conducive to like the best performance in terms of muscle growth. Sure. And that's where you need to have a check, uh, check your ego, uh, have a little word with yourself because you are wasting potential time and potentially risking injuring yourself when you could be like, you know, doing some leg extensions or like some hack squats or something, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is fun. Like, uh, like I'll admit that, like it, I have the personality type where like, if I can, load up a lot of weight on a bar like and i can i can move it easily it's fun and i enjoy it but once i got to a certain point the amount of like extra mobility work and the amount of like tax that it put on my body and everything like it's just not worth it for me to do that every single week i still squat i still bench press i still deadlift i just do different variations that are more conducive to my goals 
Because my yeah. goals, my goals right now are I want to be able to perform better in sports, pickleball mainly. I want to be able to move better, run better, jump higher, like all of those things. But I also want to build muscle and have more. Uh, I, ha- I want to have more muscle tissue on my frame as well. So I have aesthetic goals as well. Um, but I don't care about being a big jacked power lifter. Like that's not. I don't care about deadlifting 800 pounds. That's not my goal. You know, if I can, if I can be pretty strong for my size, but also athletic at the same time and have some good muscle definition, like that's awesome. That's health is the ultimate goal for me. But um, yeah, aesthetics and sports performance are also goals of mine as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was such a huge push for powerlifting, especially in like the last five to 10 years that like, it's it it seems so pervasive now. Like everyone thinks like, Oh, if you want to like get big and jack, if you want to like achieve all these goals, like the answer is to do the big three is to squat bench and deadlift. And like, we, we have to realize that there are no required exercises, especially for muscle growth. Like it, it like, if you do want to, like, if you love squatting, benching and deadlifting, go ahead and do your thing, get strong as fuck on those. Like if, if that's something that like true, truly brings you pleasure and like you have fun doing those in your program then by all means go for it but like realize that those things are definitely not required for muscle growth and there are certainly better options to choose for muscle growth and yeah i I think it really just does like boil down to that like people think that they have to do a certain exercise to get a specific result and then also for whatever it's worth like when we kind of go back to like for for like when we go back to like the definition of a strength strength is literally just an expression of the amount of strength you have in a specific lift. Like it doesn't have to be squatting, benching and deadlifting. It's just something that, you know, as a society, we tend to just place value on these three lifts because they are part of a, like a huge sport. And it's just something that a lot of people like decided to agree on. Like, and then there's this whole thing where like people are like, Oh, no one cares about your leg press PRs, but somehow we like, we care about these arbitrary lifts, like the squat bench and deadlift. Like, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with if you want to focus on any other lift that you want to celebrate those PRs that you have, because if you're getting stronger, if that is allowing you to change your body and allowing you to feel better about your strength and overall confidence and everything, that's, then that's, that's fucking awesome. Like I, I have a client right now. She like, she loves like pressing. She loves seeing the weight go up every week. And I'm like, I'm not going to fucking be like, no one gives a shit about your leg. Press <laughs> <laughs> it's all about how much you can back squat, bro. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, like we are training the general public. Like most of the time we're not going to be training gym bros who want to PR in their squat. You know, like it's like the, the kinds of clients that we are going to work with, are not the ones who are going to be like, oh, this doesn't fucking matter. Only squats matter. Like, who the hell is making up these random rules, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I I personally, I've always enjoyed working with dumbbells. Like, for me, I always preferred dumbbells over using a barbell. Like, that was just me. I've always preferred it. Um and, you know, like if I had the choice between dumbbell bench pressing and barbell bench pressing, I'd choose dumbbells. It just always felt better for me, felt like a more uh, natural movement. And I know there's tons of people out there who enjoy the barbell bench more. And there's nothing wrong with that movement either. Um, I think it's just it just comes down to like what you enjoy and what works better for your body and the way that your body is structured. So I, I think it's – and we'll like – Ultimately, what can you stick with long term? 
Like, what do you actually want to stick with long term? I know for me, I can dumbbell bench press until I'm fucking 80 years old, hopefully, and and I'll still enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was honestly one of the most kind of rewarding things for me, like stepping away from like the barbell work, just like seeing all my like all of my like chronic pains and injuries like start to like go away because i'm choosing better movements that fit my structure mm. i'm lining things up better so that i'm actually targeting the muscle rather than like beating up my joints like barbell benching just never felt natural for me and like i i mean i got a little bit of progress doing that but like it just never felt natural to me i was never really able to make real progress until i stopped doing that and i started doing dumbbell benching and then like now my progress is flying up and like i feel so much better like moving in my body so I have a question for you guys. So once somebody gets to a point when they are like outgrowing the dumbbells that they can safely press in like a dumbbell bench press, um, like let's say they need a spotter in order to move like 90 pound dumbbells or like 100 pound dumbbells for a bench press, um, moving to a barbell from there obviously would be like the next choice. But um how can you perform or modify a dumbbell bench press to better fit your structure? Like, like let's say your goal is hypertrophy, mus- muscular hypertrophy, and you want your you just want to build muscle, but you know that you still need to progressively overload the chest, so you still need to get stronger. So, how can you modify the dumbbell bench press? to achieve that goal without putting your joints in such an awkward position if your body type doesn't really support that. And you've maxed out the dumbbells? Mm-hmm. But the dumbbells f- feel good for you? Yeah, like let's say let's say you have like 95-pound dumbbells at your gym. Yeah. And, and you're and you're already hitting that for like 10 to 12 reps and you don't really have a desire to go past that, then, you know, how can you, obviously, you know, you can slow the tempo down, you can do rest pauses, but I'm talking about specifically moving from dumbbells to a barbell. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Is that, am I Uh, I clear in my question? I would have said the eccentric route, you know, that would be easy. You can just slow down the eccentric. Let's say you're doing it with eccentric already. Okay. So then how can you progress from there to a barbell? Yeah. Without having done a lot of barbell work? Is that what you're asking? (laughs) I guess I'm not really being clear. So let's say like for me personally, like putting myself into a position for a barbell bench press, it puts me into an awkward position and my body type doesn't really support it like it doesn't feel good for me it puts a lot of strain on my shoulders my body feels beat up afterwards even with all of the various like form and technique changes that i've made to it it still never really feels good so like i guess i'm asking are there different exercises that you guys would put there instead to overload the chest would you move to a machine seated chest press what would you guys do if you're already dumbbell bench pressing 95 pounds for 10 to 12 reps with a three or four second eccentric, well done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you're seriously strong. 
And the chances of you being able to max out the chest pressed full stack as well, mm-hmm. chances are high. Um, in terms of other exercises for chest, I mean, you've got cable, things that where you are like a cable fly or a dumbbell fly where the load is so much further away from your body and it's a more of an isolation exercise for the pec that you don't need to use as much weight. With that comes pros and cons. Of course, you're not working the tricep as much, which is a pro and con, depending on how you look at it. Um, Also, if you're using dumbbells for flies, there's a certain period within the exercise where the pec's not being actually worked that much because it gets kind of easier. So where cables might be beneficial, and then it's like, how much can you actually load up on cables? But yeah, so it's all about, you know, can you find another exercise where you can push close to failure? I suppose, where it is going to be challenging enough to push to failure. And if you can't do that on a barbell and you've played around with different grips and um, different positions for the shoulder and you've tried, you know, arching your back a little, not arching your back, and you've tried all that and it just doesn't work for you. Because I know for me, I've had a lot of shoulder issues in the past. And I found that, you know, in CrossFit, we always used to teach, you know, shoulders in like this and pushing like this because if you're going to go up to something and push something and you want it to be functional you're going to push like this and not out here like this but i find actually a wider grip for me works really well for my shoulders i don't know if it's because i'm very broad up top but i find that i don't get any shoulder issues anymore with that so maybe playing around with that can help but otherwise it's about finding another exercise that you can push close enough to failure and accumulate those effective reps i suppose and highly likely if you can already like bench press your 95 pound dumbbells with a three or four eccentric for like 10 to 12 reps you're so strong like you probably be going to a gym that has more than 95 pounds and it's not going to be a problem but um yeah there's so many different exercises that you could be doing for for chest mm-hmm. it's yeah. a good answer yeah, I would say, yeah, my number one recommendation for single eyes, like if you're someone who just like insanely fucking strong and you only have like, let's say you go up to 95 pound dumbbells like at your home gym, then I would say, yeah, first thing is to slow down the tempo even more because that's like one of the best ways to get to failure without using having to use as much weight. Although, I mean, honestly, it's not as fun, like literally trying to count like five man. plus seconds as you're going down. Uh, but like if if that's like the only option you have, it's like, you, you got to do what you got to do to get that same stimulus. If you want to keep progressing, um, you know, incorporating pauses as well. Um, yeah, just, just really doing that stuff. If you only have access to that weight. Um, but if you do have access to other pieces of machinery, then yeah, definitely like Andy said, like cables, machines, um, all the other kind of stuff. If you do like get access to like a gym, or if you do want to, if you have a home gym and you want to pick something up, but I would say a Swiss bar. I don't know if you guys have seen those or heard of those. It's basically like, or I think it's also called a football bar. It's um, basically, it's kind of like a barbell, but then like the center is kind of a rectangular shape thing. And then it has like different handles within that little rectangular part. So, so you, you can go neutral, idea. you can go neutral grip yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I have seen yeah. those dude. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a really good, like, more shoulder-friendly version of, like, a bar. That's actually really that's cool. Idea, yeah. I actually I actually go to a gym that has one of those. I just never really thought about using that. So 
I want to try that. Another thing I thought about too, as I was asking the question, is using bands around the dumbbells to give you that constant tension on the dumbbells. So that's something that uh, I learned from Paul Carter as well is attaching bands onto the dumbbells and around the back of the bench. It's insane. It's actually like probably my favorite way to add intensity to a dumbbell bench press. Mm-hmm. You feel like it adds more intensity to the triceps, though. Mm, I don't know. I think it, I because think because as you both. get further into the exercise, yeah, probably both. But as you get further into the exercise, there's more tension created in the band, and as you get further into the exercise, I think there's going to be more tension going through the tricep, potentially. Maybe, but it also keeps more tension on the eccentric portion as well. Because yeah. it's all, it's also pulling you back down through the eccentric motion as well. So, I think yeah, towards the towards the end range of the movement, maybe you know a little more triceps right here. But then, as you're moving into the eccentric, it's also keeping more constant tension there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely loads the triceps more. It also I think it loads the uh, the the fully shortened position of the pec a little bit more as well. Yeah, right. For the most part, when you like. When your joints are stacked, you don't really get any tension. That's why, like, mm. you can literally hold dumbbells in your hand with like a straight arm forever, because it's mm-hmm. not really stressing your muscles all that much. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, another thing I want to add: um, you can add more reps to. You can start doing those ninety-five pound dumbbells for more reps too. I think you can still get a similar effect for hypertrophy. I believe up to like thirty reps or something. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I noticed that too when we were doing um, when we were doing band pull parts to failure for like 30 reps and those are like fuck man those are brutal like who the hell would program that besides Mm -hmm. an absolute psycho um but dude doing like banded pull parts to failure is fucking brutal Mm -hmm. but literally just getting up to like 30 reps and you're just standing there just doing Band pull parts. Just all right, making away. <laughs> all right, when is this gonna get hard? When is this gonna get hard? And then it just oh, you hit a wall so fast, dude. And it's like the rep before that, it was easy as fuck, and then you're just already there, and it's just fucking burning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are brutal. Yeah. All right, boys, what do you think? It's Should we good. call it? Should yeah. we call it? All right, I think we're gonna Not call that it. Time. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, Yeah, and we will see you guys next week on another episode of the Gentleman's Roundtable. Mm -hmm. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.